0: barnaby rudge chapter twenty four this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by brad Philippone. barnaby rudge by charles dickens chapter twenty four how the accomplished gentleman spent the evening in the midst of a dazzling and brilliant circle how he enchanted all those with whom he mingled by the grace of his deportment the politeness of his manner the vivacity of his conversation and the sweetness of his voice how it was observed in every corner that chester was a man of that happy disposition that nothing ruffled him that he was one on whom the world's cares and errors sat lightly as his dress and in whose smiling face a calm and tranquil mind was constantly reflected how honest men who by instinct knew him better bowed down before him nevertheless deferred to his every word and courted his favourable notice. How people, who really had good in them, went with the stream, and fawned and flattered and approved, and despised themselves while they did so, and yet had not the courage to resist. How in short he was one of those who are received and cherished in society, as the phrase is, by scores who individually would shrink from, and be repelled by the object of their lavish regard, are things, of course, which will suggest themselves. Matter so commonplace needs but a passing glance, and there an end. The despisers of mankind, apart from the mere fools and mimics of that creed, are of two sorts. They who believe their merit neglected and unappreciated make up one class. They who receive adulation and flattery, knowing their own worthlessness, compose the other be sure that the coldest-hearted misanthropes are ever of this last order mr chester sat up in bed next morning sipping his coffee and remembering with a kind of contemptuous satisfaction how he had shone last night and how he had been caressed and courted when his servant brought in a very small scrap of dirty paper tightly sealed in two places On the inside, whereof was inscribed in pretty large text these words, "'A friend, desiring of a conference, immediate, private. Burn it when you've read it.' "'Where, in the name of the gunpowder plot, did you pick up this?' said his master. It was given him by a person, then waiting at the door, the man replied. "'With a cloak and dagger,' said Mr. Chester. With nothing more threatening about him, it appeared, than a leather apron and a dirty face.' let him come in in he came mr tappertit with his hair still on end and a great lock in his hand which he put down on the floor in the middle of the chamber as if he were about to go through some performances in which it was a necessary agent sir said mr tappertit with a low bow i thank you for this condescension and am glad to see you pardon the menial office in which i am engaged sir and extend your sympathies to one who humble as his appearance is has inner workings far above his station mr chester held the bed-curtain farther back and looked at him with a vague impression that he was some maniac who had not only broken open the door of his place of confinement but had brought away the lock mr tappertit bowed again and displayed his legs to the best advantage you have heard sir said mr tappertit laying his hand upon his breast of g varden locksmith and bell-hanger and repairs nearly executed in town and country clerkenwell london what then asked mr chester i'm his prentice sir what then ahem said mr tappertit "'Would you permit me to shut the door, sir? "'And will you further, sir, give me your honour bright "'that what passes between us is in the strictest confidence?' "'Mr. Chester laid himself calmly down in bed again, "'and turning a perfectly undisturbed face towards the strange apparition, "'which had by this time closed the door, "'begged him to speak out and to be as rational as he could, "'without putting himself to any very great personal inconvenience.' "'In the first place, sir,' said Mr. Tappertit, producing a small pocket-handkerchief, and shaking it out of the folds, "'as I have not a card about me, for the envy of masters debases us below that level, allow me to offer the best substitute that circumstances will admit of. If you will take that in your own hand, sir, and cast your eye in the right-hand corner,' said Mr. Tappertit, offering it with a graceful air, "'you will meet with my credentials.' thank you answered mr chester politely accepting it and turning to some blood-red characters at one end for simon tappertit one is that the without the number sir that is my name replied the prentice they are merely intended as directions to the washerwoman and have no connection with myself or family "'Your name, sir,' said Mr. Tappertit, looking very hard at his nightcap, "'is Chester, I suppose. You needn't pull it off, sir, thank you. "'I observe E. C. from here. We will take the rest for granted.' "'Pray, Mr. Tappertit,' said Mr. Chester, "'has that complicated piece of ironmongery which you have done me the favour to bring with you "'any immediate connection with the business we are to discuss?' "'It has not, sir,' rejoined the prentice. "'It's going to be fitted on a warehouse door in Thames Street.' "'Perhaps, as that is the case,' said Mr. Chester, "'and as it has a stronger flavour of oil than I usually refresh my bedroom with, "'you will oblige me so far as to put it outside the door.' "'By all means, sir,' said Mr. Tappertit, suiting the action to the word. "'You'll excuse my mentioning it, I hope.' don't apologise sir i beg and now if you please to business during the whole of this dialogue mr chester had suffered nothing but his smile of unvarying serenity and politeness to appear upon his face sim tappertit who had far too good an opinion of himself to suspect that anybody could be playing upon him thought within himself that this was something like the respect to which he was entitled and drew a comparison from this courteous demeanour of a stranger by no means favourable to the worthy locksmith from what passes in our house said mr tappertit i am aware sir that your son keeps company with a young lady against your inclinations Sir, your son has not used me well. Mr. Tappertit, said the other, you grieve me beyond description. Thank you, sir, replied the prentice. I'm glad to hear you say so. He's very proud, sir, is your son, very haughty. I'm afraid he is haughty, said Mr. Chester. Do you know I was really afraid of that before, and you confirm me? To recount the menial offices I've had to do for your son, sir, said Mr. Tappertit, the chairs I've had to hand him, the coaches I've had to call for him, the numerous degrading duties, wholly unconnected with my indentures that I've had to do for him, would fill a family Bible, beside which, sir, he is but a young man himself, and I do not consider thanky-sim a proper form of address on those occasions. Mr. Tappertit, your wisdom is beyond your years. Pray, go on.' i thank you for your good opinion sir said sim much gratified and will endeavour so to do now sir on this account and perhaps for another reason or two which i needn't go into i am on your side and what i tell you is this that as long as our people go backwards and forwards to and fro up and down to that there jolly old maypole lettering and messaging and fetching and carrying you couldn't help your son keeping company with that young lady by deputy, not if he was minded night and day by all the horse guards, and every man of him in the very fullest uniform. Mr Tappertit stopped to take breath after this, and then started fresh again. Now, sir, I am coming to the point. You will inquire of me how is this to be prevented? I'll tell you how if an honest civil smiling gentleman like you mr tappertit really no no i'm serious rejoined the prentice i am upon my soul if an honest civil smiling gentleman like you was to talk but ten minutes to our old woman that's mrs varden and flatter her up a bit you'd gain her over for ever then there's this point gut that her daughter dolly here a flush came over mr tappertit's face wouldn't be allowed to be a go-between from that time forward and till that point's got there's nothing ever will prevent her mind that mr Tappertit. your knowledge of human nature wait a minute said sim folding his arms with a dreadful calmness now i come to the point sir there is a villain at that maypole a monster in human shape a vagabond of the deepest dye that unless you get rid of and have kidnapped and carried off at the very least, nothing less will do. will marry your son to that young woman as certainly and as surely as if he was the Archbishop of Canterbury himself. He will, sir, for the hatred and malice that he bears to you, let alone the pleasure of doing a bad action which to him is its own reward. If you knew how this chap, this joseph willet that's his name comes backwards and forwards to our house libelling and denouncing and threatening you and how i shudder when i hear him you'd hate him worse than i do worse than i do sir said mr tappertit wildly putting his hair up straighter and making a crunching noise with his teeth if such a thing is possible a little private vengeance in this mr tappertit private vengeance sir or public sentiment or both combined destroy him said mr tappertit miggs says so too miggs and me both say we can't bear the plotting and undermining that takes place our souls recoil from it barnaby rudge and mrs rudge are in it likewise but the villain joseph willet is the ringleader their plottings and schemes are known to me and miggs if you want information of him, apply to us put joseph willet down sir destroy him crush him and be happy With these words, Mr. Tappertit, who seemed to expect no reply, and to hold it as a necessary consequence of his eloquence, that his hearer should be utterly stunned, dumbfounded, and overwhelmed, folded his arm so that the palm of each hand rested on the opposite shoulder, and disappeared after the manner of those mysterious warners of whom he had read in cheap story-books. "'That fellow,' said Mr. Chester, relaxing his face when he was fairly gone, "'is good practice.' i have some command of my features beyond all doubt he fully confirms what i suspected though and blunt tools are sometimes found of use where sharper instruments would fail i fear i may be obliged to make great havoc among these worthy people a troublesome necessity i quite feel for them with that he fell into a quiet slumber subsided into such a gentle, pleasant sleep that it was quite infantine. End of chapter 24